If you would pray with me and then we're going to look at that text together. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather in your name. We thank you for this place that you've provided, uh, this building that you've given us, that we can come and and worship your name and sing your praises, that we can open your word uh, and we learn more fully who you are and what it means to follow you completely and uh, to continue to transfer our trust completely and totally to you for all things. And so we thank you for this opportunity. We pray that you would be the one that teaches and leads and guides us as we spend time in your word. We confess we can't do any of this without you or apart from you. And so we pray that you would be the one that teaches and leads, that you would illuminate our hearts and our minds, that you would remind us so greatly of who we are in Jesus and what that means for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Uh, there's this, uh, I was thinking about this this week, there's, there is a costly mistake uh, that I keep making in my life. Uh, that it's, at this point, uh, I'm 43 years old, I should have figured it out by now, but I confess I haven't and I continue to make the same mistake over and over. Uh, I physically do things that I used to be able to do that I really should no longer be doing. And I continue to do this over and over. And it doesn't matter how many times I do it or how often I do it. I kind of take note of it and go, oh, that didn't go well. And then I go out and I do it again and I do it again and I do it over and over again. And there seems to be a a disconnect in my mind about who I am right now and and, and the ways that what I can do and my limitations and and who I used to be. And and there's this disconnect that I sometimes still can't get my head around. Like like I know now, I I could even tell you the number. I I often wear a a Fitbit or a, a, a tracker that tracks your steps. And if I go play basketball and I hit 8,000 steps or more. I'm in trouble if I go past that. I should stop when I get to about 7,000. And oftentimes I will be playing basketball and it'll be 7,500 steps and somebody will say, hey, you want to play again? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I feel great. And then the next day I wake up and my knee hurts and my hip hurts and my back hurts and all these things. And yet I do it over and over. And it's, it's, it's really, I think, this disconnect in seeing where we are right now. I, I do the same thing sometimes when I work out and I don't warm up. I'm like, ah, I'm fine. The, the beginning of the workout will be the warm-up. And then that is brutal when I do that. I should never do that. And so there's that disconnect in seeing who we are at different times. And I start there, and I make mention of that, because what Paul's going to say here in Romans chapter 7 is there's often this disconnect between the way God's made us and, and now as he's redeemed us, who we are in Jesus, and who we think we are, how we go back to our sinful nature. And, and there's this battle, there's this wage war, warring in each one of us. And he's talking about that in Romans chapter 7. And, and I would tell you that it's not just a, a war that wages inside the believer, but the, those that maybe are not yet believers, that are still struggling with, with what they believe and, and how they come to it. And Paul's made this case in Romans already to this point, that the creation bears witness that there is a creator. And our conscience bears witness. And we know these things innately in us because we are made in God's image. And so even those that are not yet a believer, they still struggle with the reality of who they are and who they were created to be. And you see that. Paul tells us that very clearly in Romans. But there's also a battle waging within the believer. As we become a Christian and we're now a new creation, there's a battle waging between our identity in Christ and our sinful nature. And so I want us to think about both of those battles and how that comes to play in our life. 
And so this morning, what I want us to do is we look at this text. I want us to consider who we were in the sense of if, if you're now a believer and you put your faith in Jesus, who you were before faith in Christ and the battle that was waging in your life. And then I want us to think about who we now are in Christ and how that battle changes. But there's still a battle. And the importance of thinking about both, you might say, well, I'm now a believer. That's not who I am anymore. Why would we think about that? We're going to go back and think about who we were before, because some of the same lies that we were wrestling with before we became a believer, we go back to that way of thinking. Just like I forget who I am and what I can do right now. And I go back to thinking I'm who I used to be when I was 20 years old. And I have that disconnect. We do the same thing as believers, and it causes this internal battle in our life and our walk with the Lord. And so we're going to consider who we were and how that battle looked before we were a believer, who we now are and how that battle has changed. And then lastly, how do we grow up and really live in the identity of who we now are in Christ? And so the reason I divide it up that way, who we were and now who we who we were and now who we are, is because I think that's what Paul's talking about here. If you look closely at this text, right around verse 14, he changes from past tense to present tense. And so he's talking about what it was like before he became a believer, before he met the risen Jesus and he started to follow him and who he now is and how those battles are different. And so that's why I want us to look at it that way. And so let's jump in and consider first who we were and how that battle, what it looked like. And and it will help us understand how we trust God more fully today as a believer. And so we're going to pick up in verse seven, but let me just remind you real quickly some of the things that Paul's hit on that give us important background to this. In chapters one, two, and three, really the second half of chapter one to almost the end of chapter three, and in chapter five, Paul clearly makes the case that every single one of us is sinful and that we stand condemned before a holy God. Uh, In chapter five that we looked at a few weeks ago, he talks about our first ancestor, Adam, and how sin came through him. That sin entered the world and one man sinned. And so sin spread to all men and all men have sinned. And we all are born into this default condition of being guilty before God because of our sin. And we see that very clearly in Paul's argument. And he's telling us and reminding us that that our heart's default setting because we are born into sin, is to be all about me. To ignore God and the world that He created. I I say this often, but that's what we mean by sin. Rebelling against God and His world. And that is our heart's default setting because of sin entered into the world and it spread to all men. And so we battle that from the very beginning, our very first breath. We live in the lie. Apart from God's grace coming in our life and opening our eyes to see it, we live in the lie that it's all about us. And so we battle that and we struggle with that. And so the Bible talks about our flesh. And Paul will say that a couple times here in the second half of this chapter. He'll talk about his flesh and what dwells in his flesh. And when the Bible says that, it's talking about our heart's default. Apart from the grace of God. In my flesh, I want to make it all about me and what I do. But there's a huge fundamental problem when we do that. And there's a huge fundamental problem when we start to take the law of God and the commandments he's given us and what he said, but we filter it through our default setting. It's going to crush us. It's going to be, as Paul says here, death to us. And so if you look at what he says in verse seven, he says, what should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. But he asks that question, is the law sin because of the the difficult things it brings to us in that default setting in our flesh? 
But then he'll go on to say, but it's on the contrary. I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life again and I died. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. And so the law is death to us in this default setting because sin has made its way into the entirety of our thinking. And it runs so deep and it's so pervasive that there's a distortion that when we come up against God's word, we hear it. And we see it, and there's a few different ways that I'd say that we, we do this, but we completely operate in self-deception. We don't operate in the way that God intended the law to do. And so we do it in a couple different ways, but it, it, it sparks rebellion in us. Right? That's one way we completely miss it. I mean, look at what Paul says here. He says, I didn't know what coveting was apart from the law, but then when I hear it, then suddenly I covet in every way. It starts to spark this thing in me. Verse 11 says, For sin seizing an opportunity through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. And so I want you just to think about what he's, what he's hitting on here. It's so ingrained in us, in our sinfulness that we're born into, that when we hear the law, that we, it produces a, a, almost a, a knee-jerk reaction of rebellion. Someone says, don't do that. And you go, you can't tell me what to do. Because I'm a law to myself in my sinful default. And I believe that I'm the person that decides and it's about me. And I'm the one that says yes or no. And I'm the one that makes the law for me. And you can't tell me what to do. And so when laws or or, or rules or things come in, my default setting in my sinfulness is you can't tell me what to do. I'll I'll decide whether or not I'm going to listen to you on that. And so we, when we approach God's law apart from grace, it oftentimes leads to more sin. Because they're like, I don't want to hear that. And so in our self-deception, believing that the world's all about us, that goes a couple different ways. One, we see it all around us. You can't tell me what to do. Uh, I have my truth and you have your truth and I'll decide what's true for me and you decide what's true for you. And that's the way I'll operate. And so in that self-deception, it's just outright rebellion. I just ignore it completely. I just say, I don't have to deal with that. That's absurd. No thanks. But there's another way that we're self-deceived in that. Another self-deception. Instead of just throwing it off, which we often do, we'll then take the law and we'll be self-deceived in this regard. We'll believe that we can validate ourselves by keeping it. Now, now consider that because the reason is I'm still seeing myself as the center of all things. I'm seeing God giving me these laws that tells me how to live as something that I can then do to validate my existence. But what Paul has said very clearly in Romans is you cannot do that, that that's not the point of the law. The law comes to show you that you can't do it and you desperately need Jesus. But in our sinfulness, that's what we do. We operate in this self-deception. And so we make our checklist, and I would tell you the, the part where we, the self-deception of we just throw it all off, or the self-deception that we think we can do it ourselves, oftentimes we vacillate between the two. I'm going to throw off the stuff that I don't really like, 
and then I'll cherry pick the ones that I feel like I can do okay, and then I'll try to do those, and then I'll validate myself by doing those. And so we kind of go back and forth a lot of times. Well, that's absurd, and that's regressive, and I'm not going to do that, and God didn't mean that, but I'll do these. And so we can go along being self-deceived for a time thinking, I'm doing pretty good. I think that's even what Paul's talking about in verse 9 when he says, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life again. I think what he's saying is, I don't think there's ever a time in Paul's life where he didn't have the law. He grew up in it. And I think what he was saying, though, is there was a time when I was self-deceived that I thought I could do it. And if you read about Paul in Scripture and you go back and you read his story in Acts, that's exactly who Paul was. He was the guy that was very self-righteous and I'm doing it and I'm keeping it all right and I'm going to put all the people that have it wrong in jail and I'm going to go get them and I'm the one. But here's the problem. What happens in that? When we're self-deceived like that, it quickly leads to self-righteousness, which in in turn leads to pride, which leads to looking down on others, which leads to thinking that I'm better than I actually am and it completely misses the holiness of God and the depths of our sinfulness. And we can only hold that facade up for so long. But we often do that. And that's what happens when we come, uh, this battle that's waging in us between us being made in God's image and our sinfulness apart from Christ, apart from the grace of God. And I meet people all the time that that's their default. I'm a pretty good person. They hear you're a pastor and then they start giving you their spiritual resume. I'm pretty good. I'm a good dad. I'm do this. Uh, what are, you know, and they start telling you the good things. And that's the way our heart thinks, because we think it's all about us and what we do. But there's one other way here that Paul kind of talks about this battle before we come to Christ. Not only do we throw it off and not only do we try to to validate ourselves, but there's a third part here where, where we start to actually see that we're not measuring up. Now, sometimes we're trying to hold that facade together that we can we can do it. But then we start to see that we can't and it's crumbling in front of us, but we're trying to hold it together. And I think Paul's talking about that here when he says, what should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would have not known what it is to covet if the law had not said do not covet. And then it produces covetousness in me. And he says, as I started to hear these things and I started to think about it and I started to see it, then all of a sudden the the facade starts to crumble. And by the way, that's God's grace breaking in. The, The Holy Spirit convicts you of sin and shows you where you don't measure up and you haven't done it. And he starts to come in and he starts to do that. And so the law begins to to spark this in us that we don't measure up. And, And as God starts to work, it starts to show us and it starts to crumble around us and so paul says it's not the law's fault there's nothing wrong with the law god's law is perfect and good and holy and righteous but the problem is what it does is it comes in and we start to see the truth it reveals how sinful we truly are and once we get past that deception as god starts to break in it starts to show us that oh no we haven't done it now we have a a choice at that moment in the battle that wages Do I double down and try to do better? Pull myself up by my bootstraps and get after it and work harder. And apart from the grace of God, that's what we do. 
Because our flesh is still saying it's all about you and what you do and you validate yourself and you make yourself okay. And so work a little harder and do it. But that is crushing. Because in the midst of that, we are being reminded over and over that we have not measured up. And so there's this battle that wages. And it's in every single person that you meet. Every one of us is trying to validate our existence in some way. And so we struggle against that. We knock up against that over and over. But apart from Christ, who we were, apart from Jesus, it is a battle that we cannot win. It is hopeless. You will never, ever be able to do it. But thankfully, that's not who we now are in Christ. And so I want you to consider who we now are in Christ and how this battle changes. And so Christ comes in to our life. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see that you haven't measured up, convicts you of sin, and then points you to Jesus and what he's done, which, by the way, is the whole point of the law. Right? The law is there. It does constrain evil. It does show us God's character. It does show us the way his creation works. But ultimately, God gave us the law to point us to our need for Jesus. It was never designed. I'm giving you these so that you can save yourself. It's I'm giving you these so that you see my holiness and who I am and how desperately you need me. And so we've talked about this in Romans, what saving faith looks like. Saving faith is a transfer of trust, taking and moving it from putting your trust in yourself to putting your trust in God and what he's done for you in Jesus. And it's there and only there that we can ever wage war on this battle of our flesh and have victory. Because we cannot do it. And so when we start to think about who we are and how this battle changes, it changes because of what God has done. It's not me that can defeat this. I can't. And not until I see that and I realize that by God's grace will I ever have victory in this battle. It's because I will never be able to do it. Jesus is the only one that can do it. And so Paul's making that point and leading us to that. So look at what he says in verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I'm no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. And I want you to stop right there for just a second what he's saying. He says, it's no longer me, but sin living in me. That's why I think Paul's now seeing who he is in Christ. The sin that lives in him is he says, that's not who I am. It's here and my flesh is real and I'm still battling it. But if you go back and you look at everything that Paul said in Romans and all his letters, he says that when you come to faith in Christ, you're a new creation. We could go back to chapter six where he says we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, By the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. We're a new creation in Jesus. You're no longer this sinful flesh. You're no longer locked into only seeing things that you're the sinner. You now see that it is not you and it is what Jesus has done and you're now a new creation. The battle fundamentally changes because it's no longer yours to fight. It's Jesus and what he's done. And so the end of that in in chapter six and verse five, he says, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we no longer would be enslaved to sin. 
We're now a new creation. The very Spirit of God comes and lives in us and with us and unites us with Jesus through His work and what He's done. And it's, we're, we're, we're made into a new creation. And I think that's why Paul says in verse 17, it's no longer uh, the one doing it, but the sin living in me. But here's the thing. There's still a battle that's waging. We're still, we are a new creation, but we're still in this body of flesh. And with it come all our old habits and our old ways of thinking. And yes, we're a new creation and God comes in and he uh, opens our eyes to see. And he shows us what is now true of us. You are my beloved child and I have dealt with your sin. Yes, you are more sinful than you ever dared imagine, but you're more loved and accepted than you ever could hope. And it's all because of what Jesus has done. And so when we transfer our trust to him, it begins to to teach us and to show us. And he's he's doing this work in us. Paul summarizes it this way in, in Galatians 5. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And so you are a new creation. You are forgiven. Your sin has been dealt with. This is who you are in Christ, but you're still in this body. And there's still this battle. And and as I started this morning, when I go back to thinking I can do things that I used to do when I was 20 years old, and I go back to kind of my old, I'm not seeing the reality of who I now am. We do the same thing at different times. We default to our sinful way of thinking. We go back to to believing the lie that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1. We worship the creation rather than the creator. And we look for ultimate pleasure and and hope and joy and things of the created world rather than of the creator. And we all deal with this. We deal with that lie popping up in us over and over But we are a new creation. And so what Paul tells us here is that that God is working in that. Look at verse 20. He says, now, if I do that, what I do not want, I am no longer the one who does it, but it's the sin that lives in me. So I discover this law when I want to do what is good. Evil is present with me for in my inner self. I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. And he says, there's this war waging between the two. And I delight in my inner self and in my my identity and who I am, and I see it in God's word, and I delight in it, but then my old way of thinking comes back. And so there's this battle still ongoing. And he gets to this point in verse 24 where he says, what a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Makes me think one of my very first classes in seminary. Professor talked about how you're going to soon grow in your understanding. We're going to spend all this time talking about God's characteristics and who he is. And your view of God's holiness is going to grow. They said it's going to be like this. But the problem is your holiness is growing kind of like this. And he said over time you almost feel like you're getting further and further from God. You are a new creation. And you have been forgiven, but you're understanding more fully your sinfulness, which is then in turn going to help you see more fully the fullness of of God's grace to you in Jesus. But the battle is still very real. And so he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. He's done it. And so the battle fundamentally shifts. 
It changes. It goes from a battle that you can never, ever win that is hopeless because it's rooted in you doing it to suddenly becoming a battle that you can never, ever lose because it's not you who does it, but it's what Jesus has done and he is the one who rescues us. But it's still a battle. And we're still waging it each day. And so I was thinking about it this week. Psalm 107 says, Thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men, for he satisfies the longing soul. And I read that. I thought, yes, thank you, God, that you satisfy our deepest needs. Joy and rest will only be found in what you have done for us. Resting in our identity and who you are. And I close my Bible and I get up. And then I pick up my phone and I turn on the TV. And it tells me I need a bigger TV. And it tells me I need a new car. And it tells me I'll really be happy if I have these things over here. And I go, yeah, okay. Maybe I would be happier if I had a bigger TV. And I immediately start to go back to my old way of thinking when I'm sitting here saying, God, I want to be satisfied only in you. And then my flesh kind of rears its ugly head and goes, no, 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 you can find this in the creation. You don't need the creator for that. And it's a very real battle. But the good news is it's a battle that will be won because it's rooted and grounded in what Jesus has done for us, not in our strength. And so how do we grow up into that? How do we continue to trust him in everything, growing into that reality? And it's being reminded our old way of thinking is a hopeless battle that we will never, ever win. But now, because of who we are in Jesus, it's rooted and grounded. It is held in what he has done and him alone. It is a battle that we will never, ever lose because it's his. Talk about our. Saving faith being a transfer of trust. We transfer it from what I do and how I'm trying to do it to what Jesus has done and what he's completed. But each day it is a struggle. But the good news is we need to be reminded that God is faithful. That he who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion. That he's not going to leave you there, but he's going to continue to to remake you. We we are justified, we are set right with God, we are righteous before Him in an instant by faith through grace and what Christ has done, but then our sanctification, growing up into the reality of that, seeing it come to bear on every area of our life is a lifelong stepping in trusting Him, transferring our trust each and every day to who He is and what He's done. And so when we say, well, how do we grow up into that? I, I think of Hebrews where it tells us, don't harden your heart. Don't ever let the glory of what Christ has done for you become kind of ho-hum. Yeah, yeah, I got that. I understand that. And it says you become furiously obsessed. You be trained in the word of righteousness. You continue to see that. Continue to remind one another daily. Don't neglect meeting together. Don't become hardened in your heart. And he tells us all those things over and over. Constant practice. And so we go, well, how do we grow up in it? We continue to seek the Lord daily. But I'll end here with this, and and, and hopefully you feel this and you understand it right now, especially in, in a time of a global pandemic. God saves you by no doing of your own. It is by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus. And as he saves you, he saves you into a family. 
and he brings you in. And he says, here are your brothers and sisters. Here's the ones that that are now part of your family that are closer than blood because of what I've done for you. And then he reminds us, don't neglect meeting together. You are now a family. You're a community. And you're called to love one another and exhort one another and encourage one another and walk together in that and continue to remind each other of what is now true of you, not who you were. What is your true identity in Jesus? And we need one another to do that. And so when we think about what it looks like to grow up in that, we continue to seek the Lord daily and we continue to remind one another as long as it's today. And God tells us that he uses that to bring it to fullness in our life. So would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of what you've done for us. It is completely and totally by your doing. I pray that you would help us to continue to transfer our trust completely and totally to you in every area of our life. That we see that it's you and you alone that saves. That we can never do it on our own. And so I pray that when we go back to that type of thinking, that you would just continue to convict us and point us to Jesus and his finished work. That we would be quick to encourage one another in that. And we pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.